2023. What's up, guys? My name is Ashawn Chadda, and welcome to my first ever podcast discussing the Eastern Conference teams in the NBA, stars to watch out for, as well as who will eventually represent the Eastern Conference in the NBA Finals. Ever since I was in elementary school, I always had a fascination with sports, especially basketball. I always admired the pace of the game, the athletes, and how the analytics of the game have revolutionized how teams approach the game on offense and defense. Sports have always been a big part of my life, and talking about sports with people has helped me create stronger relationships with my family and friends. This podcast is hopefully going to be one out of many more to come. In the future, I plan on talking about NBA rookies who are on the rise, Western Conference powerhouses, and what groups of players will run this decade. In this segment of the Ishkindish podcast, my special guest has been a varsity basketball player, he's been on multiple championship intramural teams, and he's a pretty good doctor, and more importantly, he's my dad, Vinky Chatto. Welcome to the podcast, Dad. Hi, Ish. I'm excited to talk to you about Eastern Conference basketball. I'm very excited as well. Let me, let me ask you a question, because you're more of the expert than, than I could ever be. You know, there's a lot of teams um, in the West who are very good teams. In the East, over the last 10 years, it's been basically viewed as an inferior conference. What teams in this year's Eastern Conference do you think can challenge one of the Western Conference teams like the Lakers or the Clippers or even the Rockets? That's a great question, Dad. And the first team I'd like to talk about is the Milwaukee Bucks. This Bucks team was the king of the Eastern Conference last year by winning 60 games. Giannis is arguably the best player on the planet, and he's for sure the best player in the East, and he has been unguardable this season. He's averaging 30.2 points per game, 12.8 rebounds per game, and 5.6 assists per game in only 31 minutes of play. However, at the beginning of the season, I somewhat doubted the Bucks after they lost Malcolm Brogdon to the Pacers, who was part of the 50-40-90 club, and he was also a very solid wing defender. They also lost Miritich, who was a great three-point shooter and a good scorer off the bench. However, the Bucks have really been playing strong this season by winning 32 games and beating both the Lakers and Clippers this season. Guys such as Wesley Matthews have really stepped up on the offensive end of the floor, and they've also done a great job guarding the best players on the floor as well. Middleton, I thought he got overpaid this summer, but he's actually been a really solid option for this Bucks team as he's averaging 17 points per game, and he's also stretching the floor for this team. Another guy, though, that I really want to talk about for the Bucks is George Hill, who's a great um, point guard off the bench, and he's shooting over 50% from the three-point line this season, which is incredible. Corver's another guy you could stretch the floor for that Bucks team, and Eric Bledsoe has been a menace on defense, averaging over one and a half steals per game. Also, the Lopez, the dynamic duo of the Lopez brothers have been a great addition to this Bucks team, as Robin Lopez has done a great job fulfilling his role on the bench, and Brooke Lopez has done a great job of stretching that Bucks floor by hitting over 33s this season. Yeah, I think the Bucks certainly are the obvious choice in the Eastern Conference Finals, but last year they seemed to run out of gas. It seems like they relied too heavily on Giannis. Do you think that that's going to be a problem for the Bucks this year? I think it will definitely not be a problem this season because the amount of minutes that Giannis is playing this season. He's only averaging 31 minutes per game. 
which is really great for him because he's he has that ability to rest while he's on the bench and he'll be fresh on back-to-backs. And also, towards the end of the season, since they're going to have a lot of wins, he probably will be able to use load management and not even play those games. So he's going to be fresh and ready to go for the playoffs. And he also has other scoring options on that team, such as Chris Middleton and Eric Bledsoe, who can also provide another scoring option to that Bucks team. Yeah, sure. So load management, they, the Bucks don't seem to do load management thus far. You think later in the season they might be doing I that. think later in the season it would be very smart for them to use load management. You know, all these teams that win championships, they have the superstar like Giannis, but they need a uh, Robin to the Batman. Do you think Middleton or Bledsoe, uh, do you think those two players could be that uh, Robin to Giannis's Batman? Honestly, in today's NBA with these dynamic duos such as Harden and Westbrook, Paul George and Kawhi, and LeBron and AD, I don't think Middleton is that Robin to Giannis's Batman. That's why I think there's a possibility that he could leave in free agency. However, the Bucks are winning a lot of games. Giannis isn't playing a lot of minutes and he's obviously enjoying himself when he's out on the court and they're winning and they've had they've won 32 games this season they have the best record in the NBA there's not a lot to complain about so yeah but the regular season and 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 the NBA seems to be less and less important it seems like let's rest our players let's get ready for the postseason um I see the Bucks coming out of the East, but I don't see them winning the championship. Am I wrong? Do you think they really have a, a significant chance of winning it all? I think they do have a significant chance of winning it all. However, if they end up meeting the Lakers in the finals, I have the Lakers winning in a seven-game series. Just because of the Anthony Davis factor, and that's a guy who can obviously guard Giannis Antetokounmpo. And he's also averaging like two and a half blocks per game. And, and he's a, also a great offensive player. And if you combine that with playoff LeBron, who is an absolute monster in the postseason, and, and he has shown it in the finals last year by averaging over 30 points per game, eight rebounds per game, and eight assists per game. So he's obviously, LeBron has that championship experience. Combine that with AD and the Lakers solid role players, I think they would beat the Bucks in a seven-game series. That's just my opinion. Mm, interesting. Yeah, to me... I'm a little skeptical on the Bucks. I think they will come out of the East, um, but I worry about them facing off in the playoffs in that intensity without having that previous experience of winning. But let's see. Is there a player on the Bucks that you haven't talked about that you think could energize them during the playoffs? You've mentioned a number of them. Do you think there's one that is going to be key to making them get over the top? I think, oh, that's fine. That's a great question. I think, obviously, they have a number of role players, such as Pat Connaughton, an energy guy off the bench, Dante DiVincenzo, who played really well in the absence of Bledsoe during his injury. However, I think if the Bucs really want to get over the top, Chris Middleton has to step up offensively and defensively as well. Is he capable of that, do you think? I don't think he's capable of it right now, and he hasn't really shown it, so... Honestly, as of right now, I don't think he's capable of it, but I hope he proves me wrong. Great, great. So Bucks obviously the number one choice in the yeah. East. They're clearly dominating now. Who do you think is your team in the East that's going to challenge the Bucks? I think or do you have one, a number of them? I think I do have a number of them, but the first team that comes to my mind is the Philadelphia 76ers. 
And, you know, the Sixers had a really busy offseason. They lost Jimmy Butler to the Miami Heat, but they did get Josh Richardson in the sign-and-trade. They also lost one of the best shooters in the league, J.J. Redick, to the Pelicans, who signed a one-year deal with them. But they signed Al Horford, which is a really shocking move, in my opinion. However, he's another great veteran Why do you think that pres- was a shocking move? I think that was a shocking move because they already had Embiid, who's kind of this big presence. And obviously, I think they needed to get another wing to kind of fulfill that role that Butler fulfilled for the Sixers. But obviously, Al Horford, I thought, was a really nice signing. He was, he was pretty good in the playoffs, and he played Giannis pretty good. He, he did play really good defense on Giannis in games one and two. But um, I thought that was like an interesting move. But I think he's a solid role, play, solid veteran presence in that locker room. Obviously, they signed Tobias Harris to a max deal, making him like the most, the highest paid Sixer player ever. However, the Sixers, in my opinion, have kind of they haven't they haven't met expectations. Obviously, they've stepped up when they've played the great teams, such as on Christmas Day they beat the Bucks, and Embiid held Giannis to like 18 points on like eight for 27 shooting. So. Um, obviously, this Sixers team is incredibly talented. I think they have, I think they arguably had the best starting five on paper when you got Ben Simmons, a guy who can not only play defense, he can push the floor. He's 6'9", 250, and he's an unbelievable rebounder, and he's a great defender. He's averaging 2.2 steals per game this season, which is the, hot, which is the most steals in the league. And obviously, Tobias Harris is another good scorer on that team who can post up, hit mid-range shots, and also stretch the floor for that Sixers team. Josh Richardson is another guy who's a solid 3 and D guy, and he can also score as well. And Embiid, we all know what he can do. Last year, he averaged 28 and 12. When he's healthy, I think he's one of the most dominant players in the league. But I think the Sixers, the problem with them is they have no bench depth, and they don't really seem to be locked in when it matters. I mean, obviously, they beat the big teams, but they can't beat – little teams, and that's why they're fourth in the Eastern Conference right now. Well, to me, they seem like they have unbelievable talent, but the chemistry doesn't seem to ever come together. Um, Last year, you know, they played Toronto very, very tough and obviously lost in a heartbreaking fashion. Um, But I wonder about the 76ers ever coming together to make a serious championship run. What are your thoughts on that? I think Philly... I don't know if they I think they I think Philly has a chance to make the NBA finals this year. I have them going to the Easter Conference Finals and facing Milwaukee. But hopefully Elton Brand, who is a guy that loves to make moves last year, as we saw last year when he traded for Tobias Harris towards the trade deadline. Um, I think they really need to look up look for a backup point guard who can not only be a playmaker for that team, but can obviously stretch the floor as well because with Simmons' lack of shooting this season. Well, who would that be? Who would be that point guard? I think the point guard that they could maybe trade for that's realistic is DJ Augustine, point guard for the Orlando Magic. Guy you can shoot the three, good locker room presence, and he's been in the league for a while, and he's a playmaker. Mm. You know, I think Trey Burke and Raul Nato don't really provide that bench production that, you know, can help Ben Simmons and Al Horford and Embiid rest up. So what do you think it's going to take for this 76ers team to win the Eastern Conference? Ben Simmons has to develop a solid mid-range jump shot, and he has to take more threes. He has to take more threes. He's only attempted five threes this year, and he's only made two of them. I think this is, I think, I, I think this is Brett Brown's fault. Brett Brown obviously needs to emphasize that Ben Simmons needs to be 
somewhat of a threat out there because that affects the other players. Because obviously they're giving him the three, but he's not taking it. He's dumping it to Embiid where he gets double teamed. And Embiid's not a great passer out of the post, so that creates more turnovers for that team. Simmons needs to step up offensively so it can make everything easier for this team. And Simmons is only averaging 14.9 points per game this season. Obviously, he's shown flashes of greatness where he could score a lot of points, but he's only had five 20-plus point games this season. I think Simmons really needs to step up. He's having a down year offensively after averaging 16.8 points per game last year. and But he's lucky because he's, he's bringing that up on the defensive end by averaging 2.2 steals per game. I mean, this guy has the potential to be a he LeBron could type player. He, he could, could he should be dominating the paint somewhat like Giannis is. And he should and for them to get to that next step, you think he has to take a bigger role. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. That makes absolutely. sense to me. And Bede seems like uh, someone with super talent um, who is locked in some of the time but not others. Is that yeah. accurate or you that think is, that is accurate. Uh, as Charles Barkley and Shaq pointed out that when they criticized him on the NBA TNT show, he has the ability to be the best center in the NBA. But at times, he's, you know, he's not really, he's kind of out of it. I think that's due to fatigue and him not being as great of shape because he's been going through all these injuries as he had the disgusting finger injury the other night. Um, I think the key for the Sixers team is for MB to stay locked in, not only on the offensive side of the ball, but the defensive side of the ball. He has shown that he could be one of the best defenders in the league. Obviously holding Giannis to 18 points on Christmas Day. Um, I think the key for the Sixers team is that Embiid has to stay healthy and he has to be rested before he goes to the playoffs. Because otherwise he's going to burn out and then this Sixers team is not going to fulfill their championship aspirations. Yeah, I think Embiid's someone who would definitively benefit from load management. He's, it's hard for him to stay healthy. And so him getting rest, that makes sense. Some of the other load management in the league does not make sense, but for Embiid, speaking from a physician standpoint, with his history of previous injury, he needs to protect himself. And his, you know, he's such a big human being. Um, injury is certainly uh, he has an inclination to that. All right, so Bucks and Sixers are your prediction. Um, who do you think next? Who do you? Who's another team that? You another think? team that I would love to talk about, and I'm really rooting for this team is the Miami Heat. Wow. Miami acquired all-star forward Jimmy Butler this offseason. Even though this was a big acquisition, the expectation for the Heat at the beginning of the season was that they would only be a 7th or 8th seed. But this ball club has silenced the doubters, and they are a legitimate threat to come out of the East. They traded Hassan Whiteside, and that gets a bad contract off the table. And this roster is incredibly deep, and they currently have 7 players averaging double figures. And these two guys I would love to talk about, rookies Tyler Hero and Kendrick Nunn have been absolutely amazing this season. None, who was undrafted last season, is averaging 15 points per game, and he's taking the most shots. Jimmy Butler's not even taking the most shots. This rookie, Kendrick Nunn, is taking the most shots, and he's been an incredible burst offensively for this team. And rookie Tyler Hero has been an unbelievable three-point shooter this season as well. And he's also a guy who can develop into a somewhat Clay Thompson-type player, in my opinion. And he's also helped... Uh, stretch the floor for this Miami Heat team, which has helped Jimmy Butler get to the rim and shoot high percentages as well. And another guy I'd like to talk about, this guy played for Michigan, and he's been absolutely awesome this season, is Duncan Robinson. And he's shooting lights out from the three-point line, and he's averaging 45% from there on about seven attempts per game. 
And another guy for Miami I'd like to talk about is Bam Adebayo, who only averaged nine points and seven rebounds per game, has totally flipped the switch this season by averaging a double-double, 15 points and 10 rebounds per game. And this guy is an undersized center who can guard multiple positions. And Miami is just a dangerous season, a dangerous team. I mean, Butler has silenced the doubters by showing that he could be a good leader after what happened in Minnesota, him, you know, requesting a trade, playing with the third stringers and yelling, you effing need me to all of his teammates. Um, Pat Riley has done a great job putting this gritty team together. And Miami is just an un- incredibly dangerous team. I mean, they're 17-1 and at home. They're 18-4 and against conference, te- conference opponents. However, they've struggled on the road by only being 9-9. Nine and nine. But this team has shown that they can compete with anybody. And all I got to say is don't sleep on the heat. They also have a you know great executive and coach. Do you think Spolstra is a good coach? I think Spolstra is a great coach. He's really he's really a team oriented guy, and that's why so many of these players are flourishing. That's why he, all these guys are averaging double figures. And Goran Dragic has been another great guy. I think he's a Sixth Man of the Year candidate, and he's been incredible for this Miami team off the bench. And a guy like him giving up his role to a rookie that's not easy to do. And he's shown it. He's averaged fifteen point nine points per game. And six assists per game off the bench. And he's really been a spark for that team and a great leader. That's, that's, that's good for team play for sure. Someone, a superstar or a star who is now the sixth man and adapting to that role. My problem with the Heat, um, you've mentioned that they're led by a few rookies as well. It's different in the playoffs. It's a different game. The, 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 the regular season compared to the playoffs, is different. And for two rookies that you mentioned that are really starring, having to perform under in that stage, under that pressure, I have a hard time believing in the heat. I think that Jimmy Butler is a good leader, but I don't think he is a superstar. I think he is a star, uh, probably top 15, 20 player in the league, but certainly not superstar. I have trouble believing that the Heat can get through the Eastern Conference. What are your thoughts? Well, I respectfully disagree with that because of where they're currently at in the Eastern Conference. They're the second seed right now. Obviously, they've had some ups and downs, especially on the road when they've, when they've been 500 by going 9-9. Nine and nine. Mm-hmm. But I really do believe in this team because I think Pat Riley – is an incredible, he's a basketball savant. Mm-hmm. And I think he's going to make a move at the deadline that might even make this team more dangerous, not only on offense, but on defense. Who would you suggest that the, that the Heat add at the deadline? What, who, what players would you be thinking about? Obviously, since Pat Riley is such a great executive, he could add someone. I honestly don't think they will. However, if they were going to add someone, I think the first person that comes to my mind is Kevin Love. Kevin Love is currently averaging 16.8 points per game and 10.2 rebounds per game on 39% shooting from three. This guy, this guy is an unbelievable rebounder. He's a guy who could stretch the floor, and he's a great passer in the open court. I think the problem that comes to my mind is his salary, as Kevin Love is locked in until the 22-23 2022-2023 season, and he's currently getting paid $30-plus million. So I think that's a problem that the Heat have because obviously they want to be in contention for this Giannis sweepstakes of 2021. Oh, 
interesting. So I don't think they'll add him. Another guy that they could add is DeMar DeRozan. And DeRozan is a great scorer, and he's currently averaging 21.8 points per game, 5 rebounds per game, and 4.9 assists per game. DeRozan is a, is a great scorer that's a great mid-range player, and he can defend as well. The problem I have with DeRozan is, that, is his lack of three-point production. As this season, he's only shot seven threes out of... He's only shot 23 threes, and he's only made seven of them. DeRozan, though, could get traded this season due to the fact that he has one year left. This is his last year of his contract. So I wouldn't be surprised if the Heat pulled the trigger. But since they're doing so well and they don't want to give up any young assets that the Spurs might want, I doubt that they will trade for him. Yeah, DeRozan seems like a, a player that's beloved by other players, and he certainly would be he would fit in. Miami seems to need a little bit more veteran presence. Um, they have Jimmy Butler, uh, but I think that they could benefit from that as well. But let's see, let's see what let's see what happens there. Any other teams in the Eastern Conference that you think can can contend? Are my Bulls? Do they have any chance? <laughs> uh, come on, Dad. Let's stay on planet Earth here. Okay. Um, one team I'd like to talk about is the Boston Celtics. So the Celtics this season lost star point guard Kyrie Irving and veteran center Al Horford, which I thought was a huge loss. However, they ended up signing all-star guard Kemba Walker, and they also signed starting center Ennis Kanter, who's a solid offensive player and a guy who can, you know, do well in the post, but on defense, he's a little shaky. And also Boston had three picks this year, drafting guard Romeo Langford in the first round and taking Grant Williams and Carson Edwards in the second round. And they also signed fan favorite Taco Fall. Um... However, I think the Boston Celtics will do well in the Eastern Conference this year. They have Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, whose roles have increased this season, and they have delivered. Uh, Jalen Brown has been playing really well recently after his Christmas Day game where he dropped over 40 points. And this season, he's averaging 20 points per game, 7.2 rebounds per game, and 2.3 assists per game, as well as a steal per game. And another guy I would really like to talk about is Jason Tatum. And this guy's upside, I think, is really high. His footwork is unbelievable. He's a great mid-range shooter, and he's an unbelievable scorer. And he has all the tools to become a great scorer. However, him playing power forward this season, I don't think he's a great defender due to his lack of size. Hopefully, Brad Stevens will move him around and move him back to the position I think he should be playing, which is small forward. But this season, he's really been playing well, averaging 21 points per game. 6.9 6.9 rebounds per game, and 2.8 assists per game. And, you know, Boston has, a lot of great, Boston has a lot of great options offensively, and another guy I'd like to talk about is Gordon Hayward, who's had an unbelievable season after coming back from his gruesome injury, looking like, him, looking like his old self. He's averaging 16, 16.7 points per game, 6.3 rebounds per game, and 4.2 assists per game. And this guy, um, obviously... He is getting paid a lot, and I thought he was going to get traded this year, but he's really stepped up offensively, and I think that's another weapon that the Celtics have. Is the Celtics kind of have this four-headed monster of Jalen Brown, Tatum, and Kemba, and Gordon Hayward. All these guys can stretch the floor. All these guys can finish at the rim, and they also have great mid-range shots. And Kemba, Tatum, and Hayward are solid passers as well. And Kemba, obviously has had a great season this year, averaging 22.5 points per game, 3.9 rebounds per game, and 5.2 assists per game. 
But this is the difference between Kemba and Kyrie. Kemba has instilled confidence in Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. He has encouraged them to take the late game shots. Kemba's a guy who just wants to win after not after only winning a couple playoff series in Charlotte. This guy just wants to win and he's a great leader and he's encouraging these young guys to score and win the game for them. And I think Kyrie didn't really do that. I think Kyrie was sort of a locker room problem for this team because he felt like he had to take over the game in order for them to win. He didn't really let Tatum and Brown flourish. So obviously, props to Kemba Walker, very likable guy, and I'm glad he's having a great season this year. So you think Boston's chemistry has improved with the absence of Kyrie? I think it has, but the problem with the Celtics team is their lack of interior defense. Um, Daniel Tice, who is their starting center, is not the best defender, and also they have another guy, Ennis Cantor, coming off the bench, who's not a great defender as well. And the problem that this Celtics team is going to have is who, who are they going to guard? Who's going to guard Embiid? Who's going to guard Embiid? Yeah. And who's going to guard this guy named the Greek Freak in Giannis Antetokounmpo? I think that's a problem that not only Brad Stevens knows, but more importantly, Danny the Wizard Ainge knows. So I think Boston obviously has the cap space, and they obviously have the assets to trade for a big man. So I wouldn't be surprised if they trade for a guy like Andre Drummond, who's the leading rebounder in the league right now, or a guy like Steven Adams, who's been a really solid defender uh, and veteran presence for this OKC team. So why I don't think, some of these NBA teams play a zone? Well, I mean, they man to man has obviously been um, the norm in the NBA. But has have any of these teams had success with the zone against I feel like these they, superstars? I feel like they haven't had success of the zone due to the prolific three point shot. Yeah, I mean, teams are averaging over thirty attempts per game from the three point line. That's why I think. Zone defense has kind of, you know, not been as effective, especially against guys like Giannis Antetokounmpo, who's a great passer, and he's averaging five assists per game. So obviously he's going to split that zone by going into the middle, and he's going to kick it out to a guy like Korver, Wes Matthews, George Hill, Pat Connaughton, Chris Middleton, all three-point shooters. And, oh, I forgot, Brooke Lopez was another three-point shooter. So that's why, you know, I think the Bucks management has done a great job of putting – really solid role players around Giannis. And that's why they've been so dominant by going 32-6. and six. Yeah, these teams like the Celtics, um, maybe you're going to talk about the Raptors, uh, they don't have the superstar. They have a lot of great players. I wouldn't call Kemba a superstar yet, certainly an all-star. It's hard for those teams to win in the playoffs, you know, consecutive series. You know, the teams that I can think about are uh, the Detroit Pistons from 2004. 2004. That team was a real team. This day and age, the NBA, you, need, you seem to need to have at least one superstar and oftentimes two to win. That, I agree with that. Yeah. But, you know, the Miami Heat kind of have that 04 Pistons vibe. I think that's why a lot of these veteran retired players are really you know, vibing with this Miami Heat team. What about the defending uh, NBA champs Raptors? Do you Toronto think Raptors. they have any chance of winning in the Eastern Conference? I think they do. And for the for a couple of reasons. The first reason I like to talk about is Pascal Siakam, who had a huge jump last year um, by winning the most improved player of the year. And this season he's currently averaging 25 points per game, 8 rebounds per game, and 3.6 assists per game. I mean, can this guy win... Most improved player again. I don't. Obviously, he can. I was just joking, 
But I think this guy's arguably the second or third best player in the East. Wow. And Kyle Lowry has also been playing at a really all-star level this season. And he's always been a great um, you know, veteran presence in this locker room. And he's really been a big part of this Raptors organization. This year, he's currently averaging 21 points per game, 4.7 rebounds per game, and 7.5 assists per game. So obviously, they have Lowry and Siakam, who have been great leaders for this team, and Siakam has really shown it with his play. Another guy I'd like to talk about who really stepped up in the playoffs after having his kid is Fred Van Vliet, and he's having a great season this season by averaging 18 points per game, 7 assists per game, and 3.9 rebounds per game. Even though this guy is undersized, he played really tough defense against Steph Curry. And, you know, the Raptors have a undersized backcourt, but they make it up with their, with their two big men in Pascal Siakam and Marcus Saul as another guy I like to talk about. Obviously, his numbers have dwindled this season. Um, he's yeah, only averaging... He's he is getting old. He's only averaging uh, six points per game and six rebounds per game. But the one thing people don't talk about is his leadership and his defense. I mean, this guy's a former defensive player of the year. He shut down Embiid this season. He held Embiid to zero points this season. And I think the Raptors have some personnel to guard Giannis and make it difficult for him in the paint. And one of those guys I like to talk about is uh, Toronto's backup center, Serge Ibaka, who was averaging 14 points per game and 8.3 rebounds per game. But he's great on the defensive end by averaging over um, – over two blocks per game, you know, throughout his whole career. So that's another guy that can obviously is a great interior defender for this team. And another guy I like to talk about, he was injured for most of the playoffs this season, and a lot of people forgot about him, but he's really stepped up this season, shown flashes where he can be awesome, is OG Anunobi. He's averaging 10.9 points per game, 5.9 rebounds per game, and one steal and one block per game. I mean, this guy is 6'7", 230, and he can guard multiple positions. And he's, and this Raptors team has done a great job guarding star players such as James Harden, where they only held him to 21 points per game. And, you know, this Raptors team plays you guys tough. Nick Nurse is a great defensive team by inserting the boxing one on Curry last year during the NBA Finals. So I think the Raptors have potential to maybe make a run in the East. Um, however, I don't think they're going to end up beating Philly or... Um, Milwaukee when it really counts. So. I would. I, I. I think the the Raptors who lost, arguably one of the best players in in the NBA that took them to the NBA championship. They could have easily felt sorry for themselves this year, but they are playing at a very very high level. I would love to see them come out of the East and play the Clippers in the finals against Kawhi, and that would be a great storyline. Wow, that think? that would be a really great storyline. Obviously, this team has a whole country surrounding them so it, I think everyone is really a fan of the Toronto Raptors obviously Drake a lot of people love that guy as well so hopefully the Raptors will do well this season and Pascal Siakam has really surpassed his expectations as a player so I hope he I hope he does well so Ish do you think there you've mentioned five teams are there any sleeper teams in the east that you think could make somewhat of a run in the playoffs Yes, and this first team I like to talk about is the Indiana Pacers. So the Pacers are currently sixth in the Eastern Conference. And the Victor Oladipo injury really derailed the Indy season last year as they were swept by the Celtics in the first round of the playoffs. However, this season, Malcolm Brogdon has really played well in Oladipo's absence. 
and he's averaging 17.7 points per game, 7.4 assists per game, and four rebounds per game. And this guy is a really solid wing defender, and he's really um, been a great playmaker this season, averaging over seven assists per game. And another guy I would really like to talk about who's been unbelievable this season is forward Domantas Sabonis, who's averaging 17.8 points per game and 13 rebounds per game and four assists per game as well. I mean, this guy has really been playing awesome for this ball club, and not only is he giving it on the offensive end, he's also been a great rebounder for this team and a solid defender at the power forward position. And they have another guy who is, honestly, I thought he was supposed to have a better season this season, but he's playing okay, is Miles Turner, who's only averaging 12.6 points per game and 5.8 rebounds per game. And his play has really gone down ever since Oladipo went down with the injury, but he's another another solid guy. He could stretch the floor offensively. He's a solid rebounder, and he could score in the paint as well. But um, Oladipo is set to return on January 29th versus the Chicago Bulls. So that's so obviously the Pacers are going to add another solid scorer to this already solid team-oriented Pacers team. Um, and I think Oladipo will really help elevate the play of Miles Turner. And TJ Warren has been a solid player for this um, Pacers ball club as he's averaging 18.3 points per game and on 50% shooting from the field, which is really impressive for a guy who takes a lot of shots and is able to score around the paint. Um, Obviously, Jeremy Lamb has played really well in the absence of Victor Oladipo. He's averaging 14 points per game and 4.8 rebounds per game. I think Indy could make a push in the playoffs. Obviously, um, they have a great coach in Nate McMillan, so I'm definitely rooting for the Pacers and rooting for Victor Oladipo. has been really awesome ever since he got traded to the Indiana Pacers from the Oklahoma City Thunder. So Pacers, they need Oladipo to play big time. Um, what about the Nets? Do you think the Nets are somebody? I mean, Kyrie's out. Does Durant have any chance of coming back this year? So the Nets have been on a six-game skid as of recent. And obviously they had two amazing pickups last season, getting Kyrie and KD. Obviously KD wasn't expected to play this season, but... Kyrie's only played in 11 games for this season, and he is averaging 28 points per game this season, but the Nets are currently 8th in the Eastern Conference. Even though Spencer Dinwiddie has played at an all-star level this season by averaging over 20 points per game, um, obviously the Nets aren't playing at a really high level as they were supposed to be playing at. Uh, Kenny Atkinson is a great coach, and they have a lot of guys on this roster who not only play offense, but play defense as well. An example of that is Karis LeVert, Torian Prince, Joe Harris, not a great defender, but arguably one of the best three-point shooters in the league. They have great interior defenders in Jared Allen and DeAndre Jordan. So hopefully Kyrie can get healthy soon. He doesn't want to get shoulder surgery, and he really wants to play this season. I think if he comes back and if they really start winning this game, winning a couple games, um, they could be a dangerous low seed. And maybe they can upset... Uh, a team in the first round. We'll see. Only time will tell. Any chance Durant comes back, you think? Um, you know, with the position the Nets are at, obviously being an eight-seeded team and almost on the brink of being out of the playoffs, I do not think Durant will come back. 
I think it's the correct choice. Obviously, the Achilles injury is a very dangerous injury and one of the most uh, gruesome injuries in relation to basketball. Um, so I think he should really take this season off and get healthy next season. And obviously, hopefully he'll come back and be as dominant. Ish, you've mentioned some very good teams in the East. So what's your ultimate prediction? Who is going to come out of the Eastern Conference this year? Well, I think um, the Eastern Conference final this year is going to be between the Milwaukee Bucks and the Philadelphia 76ers. You know, this was a really tough choice for me. Obviously, Milwaukee is a lock to make the Eastern Conference Finals, in my opinion. I don't really see anyone getting in their way through the first two rounds. Um, but, you know, the second spot was definitely really tough because I really like Philly, who arguably has the best lineup in basketball, and they're so good defensively. But I also am a bigger fan of Miami, who plays really team-oriented basketball, and they have seven guys in double figures, they have great locker room leadership. Um, however, you know, in the playoffs, this is when the stars shine. And so, therefore, I have Philly and Milwaukee meeting in the Easter Conference Finals. And I think this one is going to be a really great series just because Philly knows that they can beat Milwaukee as they beat them on Christmas Day. They have two guys that can defend Giannis and Al Horford and Joel Embiid. However, in a seven-game series, I have the Bucks winning in seven and going to the NBA Finals. So Miami, you think, is a sleeper. What about the Celtics? Ish, it's been great uh, talking NBA basketball with you. Your knowledge of the game and the depth of, of your knowledge of players is outstanding. I wish you had that same intensity in calculus. Um, but any final thoughts? Um, well, first off, I'd like to say that, um, you know, recording my first podcast ever has been really fun. And thank you so much, Dad, for coming on and being my first guest. It's really been a joy. Great, great. Uh, see you guys.